Good morning. I'm Jacob Alloy, sitting in for Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Glad you could join us today. The song you're hearing may be familiar to you. It's a number from Black Nativity, an annual show at Penumbra Theater in St. Paul. We'll hear more about that show later in the hour, but it's just one of the many shows on offer during this holiday season. This hour, we are taking a look at some of those shows and events and why this time of year gets people in the mood for holiday cheer. And I want to hear from you, too. Is there a holiday show or event that's become a family tradition? Why is it important to you and your loved ones? Is there a... a, a unique story connected to an annual holiday event you've attended in Minnesota? The phone lines are open. You can call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Well, joining me this hour as co-hosts are Alex Visapoli and Max Sparber. You've heard Alex on your airwaves and read her work on our website. She's our senior arts reporter and critic here at NPR News. And you may have also read her work in the New York Times, where she's a contributor. Glad to have you with me today, Alex. Thanks, Jacob. And Max Barber is NPR News's arts editor, though he's had a long career as a theater critic and arts journalist. His work has been seen in MinPost, City Pages, and The Guardian. Glad to be sharing the host chair with both of you today. So I'm, I'm curious, since we're going to be talking about holiday traditions and, and shows, what are your thoughts on this time of year? Do you have any fond memories growing up uh, around this, uh, this winter time, this winter season? I have no specific memories just vibes, and the vibes are good. I love this season. I love the food, the decorations. It makes my little heart grow three times its usual size. <laughs> what about you, Alex? I love the twinkly the twinkly lights and like just the coziness of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, growing up, I, my I, every other year, my mother would bring me to Minnesota because my mom's from Minnesota, and so my memories of this time of year are directly connected to uh, right here in Minnesota, right here in the Twin Cities. Well, I'm very excited to talk more about uh, our memories and memories of the people who will be calling in. You, the callers, be sure to call in with your memories. But to start our conversation around holiday performances and annual shows. I want to jump into a conversation I had last week with one of the most recognizable annual shows in the Twin Cities. A Christmas Carol is in its 49th season at the Guthrie Theater, and while there have been uh, different versions of the show, it comes back every year for Minnesota audiences, and actors come back year after year as well, including Nate Fu- Nat Fuller, excuse me, who has been in over 30 productions of A Christmas Carol. This year, he plays the role of Old Joe and understudies Ebenezer Scrooge. I spoke with Nat and artistic director Joseph Hodge about the story's lasting appeal. Here's Joseph Hodge. The production that's on the boards now um, was our first post-COVID Christmas Carol, so we're in the third year of it. It's the fourth version adaptation of Christmas Carol that we've done over these 48 years. So very roughly speaking, 12 years or so per production. The story remains the same. It's Dickens' novella, and frankly, that novella itself is a very short, very brief thing. You know, Dickens, who's known for writing, you know, these thousand-page stories, these novels, chose to write in a sh- in a short form here. It's very compact. The story remains uh, evergreen. People love it every year. But how we make it changes, and it's good for the Guthrie to periodically make a new version. You know, the version that was on 
on stage before was very beautiful to my mind. I enjoyed it entirely. And in this production, we really wanted one that kind of leaned into the idea that it's a ghost story of Christmas. That's how it's subtitled, A Christmas Carol, A Ghost Story of Christmas. And that it works almost like a dream where where, where only the necessary things come into focus. And as in a dream, uh, that on the periphery is sort of fuzzy. So it wasn't about creating a kind of verisimilitude utterly detailed world, but rather one that lives in uh, in the shape of dreams. And so this is the way that we've made this production uh, this time around. Nat, I'm wondering, you know, what has changed for you over the years, doing various versions of the show, playing different roles? What has that taught you about this story and about why audiences continue to come back for it? I've loved this story from when I was a kid watching it, reading it, and I've loved the character of Scrooge and the journey that he goes through. I've, I think I, one thing that strikes me the most is how the story doesn't get old. For me, Christmas is Christmas Carol most of the time. Um, I spend a lot of time doing it, a lot of time in the theater, and not as much time out and about. But December can be a pretty dark time, and they say that um, it, the highest levels of depression in the year around this dark time of Christmas. And with all that's going on in the world, it can be dark. And the beginning of Christmas Carol is very dark. But uh, I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt who said, it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. And I always feel that this story and the way we present it is that candle. It's a brightness. And when you st- stand up at the end... Take your bows and see the smiles on the faces and the people standing up, families with kids, adults, all sharing this. You realize how light it is. Um, it changes over the years. I mean, we've had the show go from trying to be a musical extravaganza to going down to bare bones. And for me, one of the things I really like about this version, I, I actually think this is the best version for my taste that we do because it tracks with what Dickens wrote. I think it's really in the spirit of what Dickens meant, and we're not trying to make it something other than that, which I have always loved. I love the novella, and uh, it, it just strikes a chord in my heart every time. When, you, when y'all were growing up, what was, was there kind of that annual, like, oh, we go see White, we watch White Christmas every year, or do we go to the theater and see a production of XYZ? Yeah, we, I loved watching it. It's a Wonderful Life in the holiday season growing up. I loved that movie entirely. I, you know, I somehow made it through my entire young life without ever seeing Christmas Carol or having read Christmas Carol. So here's a funny story. It's my first year as a member of the Guthrie Acting Company. I'm 24 years old, I think. I'm, I'm just out of school, out of graduate school, that is. And I, I, it, it wasn't lost on me as a very young actor how big a deal that was. And I was having the time of my life. I was loving every bit of it. And the acting company would say, yeah, sure, Joe, you're having a good time now, but just wait. You're going to have to do Christmas Carol. You're going to play nine shows a week, and it's going to be the brilliant. It's like, oh, my God, it's Christmas Carol. We do it every year. And and there was this sense of sort of fatigue around it and, like, the thing that you did that was something. So I was like, okay, well, we'll see. And, I, you know, again, I'd never seen it and never been in it. So Christmas Carol's coming up, and Garland Wright, then artistic director, 
says it decides in his wisdom that those of us we were doing we we're also prepping uh, Troilus and Cressida and Garland decided that uh, the actor playing Troilus and that was me and the actor playing Cressida and the actor playing Pandarus Johnny Bottoms if you remember that um, uh, uh, didn't have to be in Christmas Carol because we had to concentrate on these big roles for the coming Shakespeare production so I kind of went around high-fiving everybody like haha I don't have to be in Christmas Carol you poor suckers I'll be over there making art <laughs> and so then on the on on opening night I came to the show to support my colleagues and my friends who were all in Christmas Carol and it was my first exposure to that show and at the end of it I was weeping like a baby and I remember saying all those years ago to all my I was like y'all this is everything. This is everything we all try to do when we make theater. You're creating community. People are having a big experience. They're leaving the theater better than they walked in. It's everything that we want. And I just realized the power of the story, which I, and it was my absolute first interaction with A Christmas Carol. There was a story uh, years ago about a man who came to see Christmas Carol. And he was estranged from his father. And seeing the show after years and years made him reconnect with him, reconnect with their relationship. And I always hope that that's the kind of feeling that people are going to get, that they want to get in touch with their human relationships. They want to reactivate whatever love they have for people and, uh, and feel more generous about people. Uh, as Fred says, uh, realize that we're all fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of species bound on other journeys. We're all in it together. And I feel the world really needs that. And if we can spread that a little bit, then we're doing a great job. I have nothing to add to that. I think it's beautiful. Well, thank you both so much for speaking with me. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That was actor uh, Nat Fuller and artistic director Joseph Hodge. A Christmas Carol, directed this year by Addie Gorland Hahn, runs from now until December 30th. If you're just joining us, we are talking about holiday performances and events and what they mean to us. We want to hear from you, too. What are your stories? Is there a holiday show or event that's become a family tradition? And why is it important to you and your loved ones? Is there a unique story connected to an annual holiday event you've attended in Minnesota? Well, you can call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. I'm Jacob Alloy filling in for Angela Davis. And with me is uh, Max Sparber, our arts editor, and Alex V. Sapoli, who is uh, a senior reporter in the uh, on the arts team here at NPR News. I want to turn to you, Alex. Um, there's been a lot of talk about unusual holiday events, and you actually spoke with the organizer of one of those, right? I sure did. I spoke to Tyrone Schenk, president of Minnesota Krampus, or rather Krampus. Okay, so Krampus, right? Can you explain who or what Krampus is? He's kind of like a like a like a Christmas demon, right? Totally. So Krampus is this sort of Bavarian Christmas hairy goat devil from folklore. He's the size of a yeti, and he partners with Saint Nick to weed out the naughty and the nice. But Krampus kind of focuses on the naughty. Okay. Okay. So so why did uh, Tyrone, you said, right? Why did he start this this Krampus group? So Tyrone started it with his wife, Winona Schenk, about 10 years ago. And they even honeymooned in Austria to kind of study the folklore behind mm. the tradition. And Schenk himself had also studied in Salzburg and just fell in love with the topic. So uh, Minnesota Krampus has a team of these 
Yeti-sized creatures that go out with St. Nick around the Twin Cities and the Midwest to holiday markets, parades, beer halls. They're even doing a metal show at the Turf Club this season. (laughs) Um, And they're kind of restricted by their masks. Yeah, could you explain what these masks look like? So they're like these crazy wood masks, finely carved, really pieces of art that are kind of frozen in these snarls, very expressive. And uh, so because they're restricted by them, they can only kind of grunt and shake their bells and sticks at people. Um, <laughs> it's kind of hilarious. So and today is actually December 5th is Krampusnacht or Krampus night. And uh, Schenk is going to explain that. Here he is on the Bavarian Austrian tradition and how Minnesota Krampus keeps it alive. Krampus is often described as a creature larger than a man, covered in fur and horns, and adorned with bells or chains or noise-making instruments. The Krampus are partnered with St. Nick. St. Nick gives presents to good girls and boys on December 6th, which is his name day. December 5th is the night before, and that is the night that Krampus, who's in charge of punishing all the naughty kids, is said to go through the villages and steal away the naughtiest of the naughty children. For Minnesota Krampus... St. Nick is the center of our celebration because there is, you know, one good. And there are a lot of Krampus around because there are a lot of ways not to be good. There's a lot more naughty in this world than there is good. So if you make it to St. Nicholas Day, you put your shoes outside your door. And St. Nick comes by and puts treats in it. If you get your treats, then you've been good all year long. And so this tradition is very much a a lesson to all of us that we need to uh, be good to one another When I went to live in Austria, I studied folklore and uh, economics. And during that time, I was able to study a little bit more about the culture and a little bit more about what it takes, you know, to to not only create the Krampus, but also all the traditions that are associated with it. During the Christianization of this part of Austria, the first bishops arrived in Salzburg in 776. And that was when the main cathedral there in Old Town Salzburg was started. Part of the oral tradition is that during the Christianization of the pagans, it wasn't very successful. They allowed the concession that the pagans could continue to keep their Krampus as long as it was paired with St. Nicholas. And St. Nicholas, being a real person, died in around 343, is one of the most celebrated saints in Central and Eastern Europe. He's the one that we have as a model for the American Santa Claus. I grew up being a part of the Bavarian-Austrian community here in the Twin Cities, so it's always been a part of myself and my family. And at this time in my life, I was like, this is a part of our culture that isn't represented very much in the United States, and I wanted to bring it here. We ended up being founded in 2014 and started importing masks that year. All of our masks are hand-carved by a master wood carver out of stone pine and adorned with animal horns, Ours are largely billy goat or ram horns. Uh, They have long-haired goat attached to the mask as well. They have lots of detail. They're beautiful pieces of art, normally with an exaggerated facial expression. Our mask carver is out of a small village in St. Johann in Pungau, which is uh, just south of Salzburg City, about 45 kilometers. He's a a master wood carver. My wife and I had the opportunity to uh, meet him and visit his workshop and gain his trust. He deals with just us in the United States. Our suits are long-haired Austrian goat suits, which are possibly the warmest winter jackets in Minnesota. Our membership 
uh, is approximately 50 individuals, most of which are primarily here in the Twin Cities metro area. We do have uh, members in Wisconsin and Iowa and South Dakota, northern Minnesota. How we mainly have come together is uh, when I decided, my wife and I decided that we were going to start Minnesota Krampus, we asked our friends like, hey, do you any of you want to join? And several of them did. And over the years, through interactions with the public, through some of these Christmas markets or other holiday festivals that we've done or parades or just seeing us online, they've decided that they wanted to be uh, members as well. The wooden mass reduced the field division for our Krampus in such a way that we can't see and can't hear everything. So we have handlers around us to not only uh, help direct us, uh, but also help interact between us and the crowd. So if there's naturally a situation where there's a young person or even an adult who's not enjoying the experience or not understanding what is going on, that handler or interpreter is there to help, you know, bridge the gap. A lot of people just want to know what's going on. The fact that they don't know what's going on, it contributes to the whole factor of annoying and the fright. We're a, a completely volunteer 501c3 nonprofit organization. We're trying to do it for all the right reasons and not to make a quick buck off of this culture. It takes Austrians maybe a little bit of time to to allow that part of their culture to leave their country. And I'm thankful that they've given us the trust to represent them as kind of ambassadors to Minnesota. And hopefully we as Minnesotans will be good ambassadors to them of what it means to be Minnesotan. Fabulous. Wow. Learning all about Krampus here on what will be Krampusnacht. Uh, Alex, I love that we can get some folklore and some of these spooky vibes during the, the holiday season, the Christmas season. I know that you're a big fan of that during the holidays, right? Am I right? In yeah, you that? know me. It's spooky vibes only. It's Halloween all year. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, if you're if you're listening, uh, we're, we want to hear from you, too. We're talking about holiday events and holiday shows. Um, what Minnesota holiday show or event has a special place in your heart. Uh, you can call us at uh, 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. And Paul in Minneapolis has a story. Hello. Good morning, Paul. What do you want to say to us today? Oh, are you there, Paul? Oh, well, um, I guess we, we lost Paul. But he does say that um, one of his favorite things to do is... Oh, oh, oh Paul, you're here. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, hello. Good morning, Paul. What do you want to say to us? Uh, first time caller, long time listener. Oh, fabulous. Good morning. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, uh, holiday tradition in our family is, is the nutcracker and, um, only because, uh, we've seen it as, you know, I think growing up, I always saw the nutcracker, but never had that big a role in my life. But, um, having two kids who are both in ballet, um, they perform in it. Um, and so it occupies us from sort of October all the way through to, you know, just before, just before Christmas is usually the last show. So, uh, lots of, uh, lots of fun, lots of like, it's, it, it is Christmas to us. Um, and this whole spirit of, of Christmas. Oh, that's wonderful. Can I ask, uh, what, what part your, uh, kids dance in? Are they sugar plum? Are they, are they Russian candy canes? What, 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 what part of the show are uh, they in this year? Well, they're in, uh, they're in Lois Holton's Nutcracker, which is, I think it was started in like 1964, late 60s, I think. Um, and it runs at the State Theater. So kind of a Minnesota institution. Definitely, um, everybody should check it out. But I think, um, 
they played all sorts of roles, from the littlest mouses to, mm. um, I think my daughter is in snow and flowers and does um, some of the big people dances this year. And then uh, my son is uh, playing the role of Fritz this year, which is the kind of the main kid who's the troublemaker. Ah, yes, mischievous Fritz. Well, thank you so much, Paul, for calling in and telling us your story about uh, Minnesota traditions around the holidays. We really appreciate you calling in. Um, so I want to turn to uh, Max. You know, one of the things and that Paul just said there is like one of the reasons why we end up going to see a lot of these shows is because we know people or it's become such an institution in our families or in our friend groups to go see these shows. And you actually spoke to a number of performers who did um, who did do annual shows. Am I correct in saying that? That is correct. Um, I got very curious about that because these holiday shows aren't just economic engines for a lot of the arts, which they are, but they're also – uh, events that have a great deal of personal meaning for the audiences and often for the performers. And I thought, who would be better to talk about that than artists who have done one-person shows for decades? So I tracked down four of them and asked them what they had to say about that. Great. Well, let's have a listen to what they had to say. I am Russ King, and my show is Bad Advice for Christmas at the Illusion Theater opening December 7th and running to the 17th. And I've been doing the show for 25 years. I like to describe Miss Richfield as the favorite aunt that you have, who you would always want to invite to a party, but never want to stay overnight. There's good memories in, in the holiday times. They were times where you got time off school and, you know, you got to see your friends and you got to hang out and then you got to buy gifts and give gifts and and get gifts and I think there's an element of it that it, that makes that brings you back to a simpler easier time in your life um, even if it wasn't simpler and easier it seems like it's simpler and easier and I think that's what draws people so much to uh, to the holidays uh, to, to all holiday things decorations shows music all of it my name is Kevin Kling and uh, I'm doing Tales from the Charred Underbelly of the Yule Log, but I've done the version of the show since, I think, 1993. Uh, so it moved from the jungle to the Guthrie to the other Guthrie, and now this year at O'Shaughnessy. Yeah, it's a, it's a combination of storytelling and music. Um, Dan Chenard and Simone Perrin and the Brass Messengers. With the Brass Messengers, you just don't ever know. It's going to be... Anarchy and Christmas all rolled into one. It's, I love those guys. And um, I think that it's just, it is the perfect time of year to just get back into the touch of how do we belong um, as a community, as a family, as a faith. And I think that that has a lot to do with it. Um, because how we belong is how we form our resiliency. And in these days, I think uh, a form of resiliency, even if it's in laughter, um, is really important and how we connect. This is Todd Peterson. The name of my show is A Christmas Carol Peterson. I've been doing it since the year 2000, 13 different productions over the years. The show started, I, I, I was, I've been trying to remember when I first started imitating my mom. And I think back in the 80s, I remember I was working in Florida and I had this joke. 
My name ain't Baby, it's Carol, Mrs. Peterson, if you're nasty. The show is about tradition. It's, a, it's about um, nostalgia and family stories, um, family, family jokes, and to, to be for the show to be a part of other families' traditions is super special to me. Hi, my name is Janelle Ronick, and I am the performer for Letters to Santa, Shaken, Not Stirred. And this is a holiday show that will be running at the Bryant Lake Bowl. I've been doing this show for over two decades. It's a one-woman show, and during the course of the show, I portray at least ten different characters. And all of the characters are writing letters to Santa. I think holiday shows become a tradition, and I think it's the, the nostalgia and that that feeling there's just something magical about it wow uh well what a great insight to one uh person shows i love a one person show max what do you think about those performances are just so appealing to people well in these with these shows in particular they recognize that uh the holidays can be a time of tremendous weirdness and chaos and they pack that into the show (laughs) kevin kling told me that there is the journey you plan and the journey you take. And these shows really are about the journey you take rather than the one you intended. There's a lot of chaos and a lot of fun in them. Mm, yes. Well, if you want to check out those shows and all the shows we'll be talking about this hour, you can head to our website, nprnews.org, NPR News with Angela Davis. You can find that page, and uh, we'll have links to all these shows. And uh, we have Christopher in Duluth on the line. Good morning, Christopher. What did you want to say to us? Hi, good morning. Good um, morning. I, when I heard you guys mention... Hi. I heard you mention you you uh, like dark uh, aspects of Christmas, and so right away I thought I had to call and just um, see if you guys have heard of... Uh, there's a an artist in Duluth named Ingeborg von um, Agassi? Agassiz? Oh, okay. I've uh, never heard of this artist. Okay, so anyway, um, I think locals call her Ingeborg. Anyway, she put out a uh, very strange... Christmas album called mm. uh, Coventry Carols. This was a couple years ago. And anyway, a friend turned me on to it, and it's got like this kind of a cult following now. And um, uh, so, <laughs> wait, she wrote, I don't know how many songs are on this album, but they're all hers. And there's these, they're just these weird, dark, fun uh, uh, songs uh, that apparently she makes on her own. Um, and um, you will know the album if you see it. It's black and white, and it has this little odd... I think she does the art. It's a little ghost angel, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so if you Google it, I'm sure you'll see it. Fantastic. Um, well, well, thank you so much, Christopher, for calling in and, and letting us know about this album, Coventry Carols. That sounds right up your alley, Alex. Absolutely. I'm going to check it out. Uh, that sounds fantastic. Well, of course, you know, we're talking about holiday shows and holiday albums and events and things. But a lot of what we've been talking about has, has an explicit holiday theme. But some shows running currently during this time aren't directly tied to any holiday. Perfected every reproduction, document the whole set. 
I Am Betty is a new musical that opened at the History Theater in St. Paul a few weeks ago. It tells the story of Betty Crocker, the fictional General Mills marketing mascot. Uh, it runs until December 23rd. What I think is great about shows like that is that they are, you know, they're secular. And, and while all shows that we've talked about certainly can be enjoyed by all audiences, it's nice to know that there is theater right now that isn't tied just to Christmas or just to another holiday happening this month. Uh, and in fact, Max, uh, I think that you've actually done some writing about that, about the experience of being in a, in a Christmas-dominated world and uh, being not from a, a Christian background, right? That is correct. As you know, I am from the Hebraic persuasion, and we do. <laughs> Jews have our own uh, holiday around this time of year, Hanukkah, but we also have a Christmas tradition. We used to have something called Nidlnacht. Nidl is actually Yiddish for Christmas, and we would play cards and refuse to study for some reason. But now we have something called Jewish Christmas, where we get Chinese food and we see a movie. And I have, in fact, written a poem about that. The poem is called Opening a Fortune Cookie Like It's the Dead Sea Scrolls. Chinese food on Christmas. There's Dana Fishbein. Hey, Dana. I haven't seen her since the Levinson wedding. All us Jews wandering in. That's what we do. Wander. 54 minutes to get seated, even with reservations. We should have just ordered to go. Ate at home watching Easy Money. You remember, 1983 film? It has a Christmas scene. Rodney Dangerfield is Italian. But that's movie Jewish. <laughs> Look, it's Danny Miller. What's up, Danny? He's head of oncology. Apparently golfs 20 hours a week. He used to be such a little pisher. Probably makes more than everyone in the restaurant combined. Finally seated. We know what we want. Mongolian beef and orange chicken. I'll have a Pepsi. It'll probably be another hour before the sh- food shows up. Get comfortable. My father used to come in here all the time. He used to tell the waitresses to tell the old man in the back, make it extra spicy. Nobody knew who he was talking about. I looked in the back once. No old man, a kid, maybe 20, smoking a cigarette over the walk. (laughs) I haven't seen this many Jews in a room since my bar mitzvah. I haven't seen this many Jews in a room since Rabbi Cantor's funeral. Cantor from Beth Israel, you didn't hear? Cancer, a shanda, a shame. There hasn't been this many Jews crammed into one place since Moses and the Hebrews stood between the walls of water at the Red Sea, lost in the desert for 40 years. They weren't looking for the Holy Land. They were trying to find a decent Szechuan joint. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the name of that poem one more time? That is called Opening a Fortune Cookie Like It's the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your writing with us. Of course, Max is a very accomplished journalist, but also an accomplished writer, playwright, and poet. Um, now, of course, that was great to hear. But during the season, concerts are also a big deal. It's not just theater, music, uh, going to a Chinese restaurant. And one concert that happens annually is produced by local musician Steve. Stephen C. Anderson. Well, it started with an idea to record Christmas in the cathedral to kind of have that extra feeling of of the space. And then I wanted to do just one concert to kind of have people experience what I did, which was the sound of this nine-foot Bosendorfer in the cathedral with its great nine-second reverb. And then a lot of people showed up, so we figured out, okay, we'll do another one. Well, here we are on the 7th, and uh, it's, it's why not call it Christmas Together? And I love to share the faith journey, basically playing the Catholic Church for 20 years in the front row, and then finally figuring out that that was the faith for me and going on that journey, to, the, to then come back to the cathedral for the first time as a Catholic to share that journey. 
having this concert, we call it Christmas Together, I still envision people grabbing a neighbor or a friend or a family member who might be struggling or might not have stuff going on to say, let's check this out. And, and to have that experience be something that they talk about and can share. And for myself then, it's, it's a big Christmas karma. So I can put it out for two wonderful nights at the cathedral. Of course, there's a lot more going on in the month, but by the time I get to my family and Christmas, it's a Christmas karma is going to be wonderful this year. Christmas Together is at the Cathedral of St. Paul, December 7th and 8th. If you're just joining us, I'm Jacob Aloy in for Angela Davis this morning. Thank you so much for being with us. We're talking about annual Christmas shows, uh, holiday shows, the Yuletide this time of season, uh, this time of year. We want to hear from you too. What Minnesota holiday show or event has a special place in your heart? You can call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. And I want to go to uh, uh, Dana. Uh, Dana is in Woodbury and has a story about concerts as well. Good morning, Dana. What do you want to tell us? Good morning, Jacob. I just wanted to share a story about how our um, festival that we like to attend is the Minnesota Chorale's sing-along of the Messiah held each year under the direction of Kathy Saltzman Romy. Mm. It's important to us because my 20-year-old daughter, a year and a half ago, auditioned um, for the Minnesota Chorale and actually got in. And then last year, her first time to sing with this group um, was two weeks after she started hospice. Mm. And uh, my daughter, um, Amara, died in April. Mm, My sympathy. But our family was able to go back um, Mm. again to the same um, concert, again with the sing-along of Handel's Messiah, just aware of that everyone has joys and sorrows, that uh, so much is going on in the world that is difficult. Um, But here was a place where this music is so transcendent and helps us feel connected to everyone, including our daughter. Oh, Dana, thank you so much for sharing such a personal story. My condolences, but what a what a beautiful thing that you get to have that experience to be um to be able to go to to that concert and and sing along and and be and remember um remember remember your daughter. That's 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 just wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us today. Um, I want to uh, I want to uh, change gears a little bit. Um, you know, there's that's just the power of things that can happen this time of year, right? Being able to sit down and either have a laugh or remember somebody or be able to be in community when you need it. And I'm just curious: is there any shows this year that you, uh, Alex and Max, are recommending that people uh, check out, or that you're personally excited to go to feel something, whether that be joy or whether it is to remember somebody? Is there any particular shows that you are recommending? Yeah, I'm really interested in checking out the artist design rooms at the American Swedish Institute uh, mansion. It looks like they're going to be really magical. And then I'm wondering if I can still get tickets to A Very Die Hard Christmas, which is at the Bryant Lake Bowl. It's kind of a cult holiday classic, but I'm pretty sure it's sold out already. Yeah, you did a story last year actually about it, right? You did a story about uh, that Die Hard Christmas. Can you explain a little bit what Die Hard Christmas is? They essentially act out the film. 
every oh, wow. year. And is it kind uh, of Rocky Horror style, or is it like no, not? I mean, there is some audience participation, but uh, it's the same cast every year, and I think they've been doing it for what 10, 15 years now. Wow. Yeah. Um, but the script evolves every year. They put new jokes in. Oh, cool. So it's an ever-evolving kind of show. It oh, is. that's fabulous. That's wonderful. Max, I'm curious, what are you recommending uh, this year to, for people to go and check out? I have two shows. The first is called Scrooge in Rouge at Open Eye Theater in Minneapolis. Um, this is an opportunity for me to celebrate my other ethnicities, which are English and Irish. Um, this is a show inspired by Music Hall, which is sort of an English version of vaudeville, but it's very working class, really knockabout. And this is a show about a Music Hall cast where everybody except three of the cast members have gotten sick, and the three cast members try to produce a version of Christmas Carol on their own. Um, it's very chaotic. The music in it is really funny. Um, so that's a show I'm really looking forward to. And the second one is A Christmas in Ochipi by New Native Theater. This is a theater company that's been around since 2009. It's focused on developing and producing plays by Native authors, starring Native actors and telling Native stories. And this is a uh, tells of a Native family during Christmas in the Everglades. It's described as, guess who's coming to dinner meets a Christmas vacation Native style, oh, which sounds fantastic to me. That sounds, that sounds incredible. I'm very excited for, um, for, for, for that. That sounds really cool. And in fact, we actually have another recommendation, uh, Martha in Proctor. Uh, good morning, Martha. What did you want to talk to us about today? What's your new family tradition that you mentioned? Good morning. So our new family tradition is a concert by Brule. Um, it's a native group from the Lower Brew um, Sioux community in South Dakota, and they put on a free holiday concert, usually sometime over Thanksgiving weekend, so the Friday or Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend, and it's at the Black Bear Casino in Carlton, Minnesota, and it's a beautiful Christmas carol, like in a rock jazz style, but combined powwow dancers. So it's a a beautiful combination of the two, and a, a wonderfully unique holiday um, experience. So that's become our new tradition. Wow, that sounds so interesting. Thank you so much, Martha, for calling in with that suggestion. Um, I'm, that's incredible. I love that kind of cross, cross-cultural um, sort of uh, sort of dealios and sort of situations. Well, of course, uh, I have to talk about some of my favorite memories around this time of year. And one of my favorites, actually, you know, growing up, like I said earlier in the hour, my mom would bring me here to see my family in Minnesota about every other year. And um, I remember growing up and coming to see How the Grinch Stole Christmas at Children's theater company when I was very young with my mom and my aunt. And I had the pleasure, actually, this year of speaking to their artistic director, Peter Brocious, about the show. He's actually stepping down as the artistic director at the end of this season. That means this is his last time directing this holiday favorite. And so I asked him what he remembers about holiday theater when he was growing up. Growing up, we had quite an elaborate Christmas Eve where we would dress up and put on shows and read stories and sing songs and create a little theater piece at home. Um, we had a ballet, but the Nutcracker wasn't part of it. We didn't have a professional theater. We had a community theater. They did not do a regular holiday show. So it wasn't quite the same. So the idea that, you know, multiple generations will come together, you know, grandma and kids and grandkids come together, it's just so gorgeous that like you know someone saw this you know x number of years ago and now get to gets to bring their children and their children and they all have this experience together and they bond together and the other thing that happens at our theater which wasn't necessarily part of my growing up is that you know people dress the part 
it's like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I mean, people come in costume. I mean, the number of people who are in Grinch stuff and, and Grinch hats and Grinch pants and Grinch pajamas. It's just, it's so fun to watch. And I just love the fact that the families have made it that special. I never thought I would hear how I, how the Grinch Stole Christmas being described kind of like the kids' Rocky Horror. <laughs> well, that's what the audience does. I mean, people come dressed and it's so fun. You know, and they're just so pumped up. At the end of this season, you're stepping down as Artistic Director of Children's Theatre Company. Um, so I'm curious, reflecting on this being the last year that you're directing this show, what are some thoughts, what are some feelings, what are some emotions about that? You know, opening night was um, pretty emotional, because then the show's theirs, and this is uh, my last dance with these amazing actors. I've had the great pleasure, you know, of working with our acting company, you know, who are just so gorgeous and so strong and so generous. Reed Sigmund is the Grinch and Dean Holt is old Max. I mean, the heart that they bring to this, the depth of work is so inspiring to me. And audiences just thrill to it because it's so so alive and so vital and, and so funny. It's just so ridiculously funny, too. Um, um, you know, it was, a, it was a funny time because on one hand, you're just trying to make the best show ever, which is what you always do. And there's a whole agenda of things that the wonderful choreographer I worked with, uh, Linda Talcott Lee, Tally, and I just talked about, about changes in all the dance numbers and things we wanted to make and changes we wanted to make in, in the character roles. And so on one hand, you're just trying to m- make the show better and make it stronger and make it funnier and make it more touching. Um, on the other hand, you are saying goodbye and you're wishing it well. I didn't invent it. I didn't commission it. The theater did, but I didn't. And so I tried to bring my heart and my research and my thinking to it. And someone else will do the same. And that's one of the glorious things about the theater is that how many Hamlets can there be? You know, they can all be different. You know, how many death of a salesman? You know, there's, it's all going to change. I, I look forward to seeing sort of the genius that the next team brings to it. But it's, it's not without its moments where you're like, oh, this is the last time. I think it's a fabulous thing to create ritual. And I think it's a fabulous thing that one of the rituals in this community is to, to go see theater at the holidays and that children's theater is a part of so many people's lives and that this particular piece, because it is about hope, about transformation, about a community coming together, about a community finding joy when everything's gone, And I love that the humor, the hilarity, the outrageousness, and the absolute tenderness all are able to coexist in this piece for for families. There was a study that showed that um, young people who are involved in the theater, either as an audience member or as a participant at an early age, have a greater propensity to a life enjoying the arts, whether that's going to museums or going to concerts or, you know, going to plays or going to the opera or whatever, than those who don't. And so the idea that when I look out and I see school groups coming and I see grandparents or aunties or uncles or parents or caretakers bringing kids to the theater, it's such a gift for the rest of their lives. And it's very moving because, yeah, you're taking them a show, 
but you're also opening a door for the rest of their lives to something that is magical and fun and inspiring and glorious and hilarious. And so it's very emotional when I, when I see these families and I see them like, you're having a night out, but you're also giving a gift for the rest of their lives. And it's a great gift. That was Peter Brocious, the uh, artistic director of the Children's Theatre Company and also the director of How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which runs through January 7th. Um, just a lot of memories for me associated with that show, so I'm, I'm very happy that I was able to speak with him. So uh, another annual show we talked about up at the top of the hour is, of course, Black Nativity, which is done at uh, Penumbra Theatre. Max, you spoke to them about uh, doing this show, right? Yeah, they've been doing this show for more than three decades. Um, And it's a very interesting show to me because while the audiences aren't exclusively African-American, it is primarily intended or has special resonance for black audiences. Um, And so I asked Chris Berry, who is the Penumbra Arts Director, what he thought about that resonance. Oh, great. One of the things that I find that is the beautiful message in this is there is a, everyone approaches the holidays in a different way. And one of the things I think for for African-American audiences in Minnesota that it's a moment where it can be celebratory. It can be a balm during a time of grief. It can be a moment of coming together and repair with family. It is it is a signpost. It is a staple that shows us the best of what we can be on stage, um, not just through a religious lens, but through a, like through an artistic lens of we can be healing centered, very thoughtful people towards each other. And I, I I really embrace the fact that this show means different things for different people. And the hope is that this show is that balm that is needed for that for these families, for the individuals, for the communities during this time of the year. That was Chris Berry, Arts Director at Penumbra. Well, uh, we just have a few seconds left here to just talk a little bit about um, uh, one more recommendation or one more thing that you're excited, a holiday tradition or show that either of you are interested in this year. Uh, Do you have any more shows that you are uh, particularly excited for, Max and or Alex? Well, as you know, we're also the Cube Critics. We do film reviews here. And so I have a movie recommendation for the season. This is going to be a contentious one because people hate the trailers. But I'm going to recommend Wonka. Mm. And I'm going to say Uh-oh. it's by the same people who made Paddington 2, which is the best <laughs> film ever made. And so I'm giving it a lot of leeway. I suspect it's going to be quite good despite the trailer. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. Our time is up uh, for today or nearing close. But if you've liked today's festivities, our friends at Your Classical are presenting um, a, a special called Your Classical Christmas Favorites. And it's hosted by NPR's very own Tom Cran and Valerie Kaler. Uh, it'll start December 12th, uh, and it will also be available um, on demand uh, audio. So you can go to yourclassical.org. They took uh, recommendations earlier this year and uh, going to be reviewing some of that music. So I'm very excited for that. That is my big holiday recommendation. Um, So thank you so much for both of you for being here today. I really appreciate it. But on the note of saying that um, we're uh, talking about Christmas favorites, we're going to go out on one of my personal favorites of this time of year, All Through the Night. My co-hosts, arts editor Max Barber and senior arts reporter critic uh, and critic Alex V. Sapoli. And uh, thank you to my Beckstrom, our director, and technical direction from Jess Burke. See you in the audience. Mm-hmm.
Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.